Section 33 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 33. Case of Euphemia Williams, Part 2. The next morning, at an early hour, the courtroom and all the avenues to it were densely crowded by people interested in behalf of the woman whose case was under trial. A large number of respectable ladies formed a part of that large gathering. Robert F. Bowen, the witness who became sick, was recalled. Witness. I saw the colored person who gave the information the next evening. After, I saw him in Market Street at congress hall in our room the gentleman who keeps the hotel we did not wish to place under any responsibility as he might be accused of carrying on the business of kidnapping suggested mr brown no said witness that is what you call it the woman would have run away if it had gone out i heard his name was gloucester that gave the information i saw him three times once on the street I have never been in his house. I have been to a house where I heard he lived. I gave a pledge not to disclose the matter. I made a personal pledge to Gloucester in our room last week at Congress Hall. He said he was afraid of being abused by the population of his own color for telling that this girl run away from Dr. Purnell. I understood that Louisa Truitt was Gloucester's wife under this searching cross-examination mr brown constrained him not only to tell all and more than he knew in favor of his friend the claimant but wrung from him the secrets which he stood pledged never to disclose witness i know no marks she was in the condition of a married woman when she left me it was the particular favor of her father and mother that made me recognize her nothing else she was pretty well built for her size while this witness remembered everything so accurately occurring in relation to the life and escape of the girl of sixteen and was prepared to swear to her identity simply by her favor as he termed it he was found sadly deficient in memory touching the owner whom he had known much longer and more intimately than he had the girl as will be seen from the following facts in this witness's testimony witness i don't know when dr p died i can't tell the year i should suppose about fourteen years ago i was at the funeral and helped make his coffin it was in the fall i think it was after the camp meeting i spoke of at that time i went regularly but not of late i have no certain recollection of the year he died i kept a record of the event of my conversion and have referred to it often it has been a reference every year, and perhaps a thousand times a year. It was in the Bible, and I was in the habit of looking into it. I was in the habit of turning over the leaves of this precious book. I think it was eighteen years ago. Can't say I'm certain. Can't say it was more than twelve years. Dr. P. left six children. Two remain in our country, and one in Louisiana, and the one who is here making four i have no interest in the fugitive i made no contract in regard to this case 
there was an offer. Are you waiting for an answer? The offer was this, that I was to come on after my fugitive, and if I did not get him, they were to pay my expenses. I hesitated about coming. It was a long time before I made up my mind. They said they would pay my expenses if I didn't succeed in getting mine out of prison. In this way, the above witness completely darkened counsel and added to the weakness of his cause in a marked degree. The overseer is now examined. Zachariah Bowen recalled. I didn't come here on any terms. I hardly understand what you mean by terms. I made no contract. I came upon my own book. There was no contract. I have no expectations. I don't know that Dr. P. ever manumitted any female slaves. I never knew that she was in the family way when she ran away. I heard of it about that time. She ran off in the fall of 1828. Dr. P. told me so. In the fall of 1828. In 1825, 26, 27, she lived with my brother. In 1825, I lived there. In 1827 and 28, I lived with Dr. P. I moved there and was overseer for him. I was overseer for 15 years for him, two years at his house. I ceased to be his overseer in 1841, I think. He was living in 1841. I am certain of that year, I think. Dr. Purnell died in 1844, I feel certain. I said to Mr. Purnell that I did not know what ailed the other Mr. Bowen, for the doctor died in 1844. He died in the latter part of the spring of 1844. Mr. Bowen made a mistake in saying it was 18 years ago. If you recall him, he will rectify the mistake, I think. Several slaves escaped from Dr. Purnell. A boy that lived with my brother ran away in 1827. The others were not hired to my brother. I don't know that I could tell the exact time nor the year. The doctor used to say to us, there is another of my niggers ran away. The reason that I can tell when Mahala ran away is because she took a husband and ran away. I was married that year. The reason I cannot tell about the others is because they went at different times in five years. The first who ran away before Mahala was named Grace. She went in 1827. I don't know when the last went, nor who it was. Gloucester said they had raised a mob on him on account of this case, and he would have to leave the city. The case of this woman or these proceedings was not spoken of there. He stayed but a short time. He said one of the witnesses had betrayed him in court yesterday, and they attacked him last night. I asked him how he escaped from so many. He said very few were in the city who could outrun him. I asked him where he was going. He replied that he had a notion to put for Canada. Some of the gentlemen proposed his going to Baltimore. He said that would not do, as the laws of Maryland would catch him. He was going to get a boat and go to New Jersey and then to New York. Mr. Purnell gave him just $35 last night. He paused a while, and Mr. P. told him to hand it back. Then he took out his money and put some more to it and said, Here is fifty dollars. Mr. P. said that if he got the slaves, he would leave fifty dollars more with a person in the city. Question by the judge. You have spoken of a conversation in which Mr. P. told you of certain letters or correspondence 
and that they had reference to this alleged fugitive. I want you to give me, to the best of your recollection, everything he said the letters contained. Witness. Mr. P. told me, when he first mentioned it to me, that he was going to mention something to me, that he did not want anything said in regard to some Negroes that had run away from his father. He said he wanted me to come on here, and he did not want me to tell any person before we left our county that if the Negroes heard of it, they could get information to the parties before he could get here. I told him I would not tell any person except my wife. He then said he had correspondence with a person here for a month or two, and he had no doubt but that several of his Negroes were here, from what he had heard from this correspondence. He asked me if I could recognize the favor of this Mahala. I told him I didn't know. He then said if anybody would know her, I would, as she had lived with my brother three years. He then said that he would want to start the next week, but he would see me again at that time. That was all he said at that time, only we turned into a hotel, and he said, don't breathe this to anybody. On Saturday, before we left home, he came to my house and said, well, I shall want you to start for Philadelphia on Monday morning. I suppose you will go. I told him I would rather not if he could do without me, but as I told him before, I would go if he still requested it. I would go, that's all, sir, except that I said I would be along in the stage. J. T. Hammond was then called, a young man who admitted he had never seen the respondent until he came to the courthouse, but was ready to swear that he would have known her by her resemblance to Dr. Purnell's set of Negroes. His whole set, said Mr. Brown. Yes, sir. Derisive laughter. Mr. McMurtry offered to prove, by persons who had known the two witnesses who had testified in this case from their youth, that they were respectable and worthy men. D. P. Brown said that if the gentleman found it necessary to sustain his witnesses' reputation in consequence of the peculiar dilemma they had got into, he would object, and if he supposed that he was about to contradict them in some point in the defense, he was certainly right. But as the case could not be concluded today, he would like to have the matter adjourned over until Tuesday next. Mr. McMurtry objected by saying that his client was anxious to have the matter disposed of as soon as possible, as he had been subjected to numerous insults since the matter had been before the court. Judge Kane intimated that no weight was to be attached to this consideration, as the full power of the court was at his disposal for the purpose of protecting his client from insult. Mr. McMurtry replied that he did not know whether words spoken came within the meaning of the Act of Congress in such matters. The court took a recess until a quarter to three o'clock. End of section 33